everybody, and welcome to a Land Grant Podcast Network instant recap show for Ohio State's 38-3 victory over the Michigan State Spartans. My name is Matt Tamanini. I'm coming to you solo tonight. Probably not going to dive too deep into this game specifically because, as you know, it was a 38-3 victory. Ohio State was up by the score of 35-3 going into halftime. Really pulled the, the foot off the pedal in the second half. We're able to get a lot of young guys into the game on both offense and defense. But I did want to run through some thoughts from this game, some things that we saw, and some bigger picture things from around college football and, of course, the Big Ten. I think despite the fact that Ohio State was only able to muster a field goal in the second half, beyond that, you can't really have a whole lot of things to be upset about from this performance. This was by far Kyle McCord's best day as Ohio State's starting quarterback, he finished 24 of 31 for 335 yards and three touchdowns. He just looked calm and confident and under control. I, I do wonder if perhaps he is starting to either get more accustomed to dealing with his ankle injury, or maybe it's just getting better. Uh, we know he's uh, injured it multiple times this season, starting first all the way back in week four against Notre Dame. But he just looked calm in the pocket, which is something that has not been the case. We have seen him kind of rush to get rid of the ball, almost sensing pressure when there wasn't actually anything there. He was under control today. And a lot of that does have to do with the fact that I think the offensive line did a great job in pass protection. There were still some issues in, in run blocking, but the, the pass pro has continued to be good all season long. There's been a dip in the last few weeks, I felt like, which might have also contributed to some of Kyle's issues um, with accuracy in recent weeks. But I thought they did a very good job of pe keeping the pocket clean against the Spartans on Saturday night. And I think that allowed Kyle the chance to make good decisions. I think we saw him in, in previous weeks, we've seen him kind of go too quickly to his checkdowns. And while he did dump the ball off a number of times to whether it was Cade Stover or, or Trevion Henderson, it seemed to be after he had exhausted all of his options more so today than it had been in either of the games or in any of the games earlier in the season. So Kyle McCord, great day, um, you know, got out basically, I think at the, uh, did he, I'm not sure I, I didn't note, uh, take it down in my notes. Um, I don't know if it was at the end of the third quarter, the beginning of the fourth quarter, he left Lincoln Keenholz, true freshman from South Dakota got in. This was, Probably the reason why Kyle stayed in as long as he did. I think Ryan Day in a different situation would have liked to have gotten either Devin Brown or even Tristan Jebbia in the game. But as we've talked about on podcasts and in articles here over the last couple of weeks at Land Grant Holy Land and the Land Grant Podcast Network, um, Devin Brown has been injured. He got hurt trying to score a touchdown against Penn State. He has not been back in a game ever since then. And Tristan Jebbia did not warm up at all last week against Rutgers. So I don't think that Ryan Day feels super comfortable about putting a true freshman quarterback like Lincoln Keenholz into, uh, into the game in anything like a pressure situation. So that's probably why he allowed Kyle in longer than pretty much any other starter uh, on offense outside of the uh, outside of the line. But I was glad to see Lincoln get in, threw the ball a couple times, had one really, really nice ball uh, that did not end up getting caught. That would have been a touchdown, I think. So nice to see that. And coming off of the, the day today in college football, and especially in the Big Ten, I'm going to ask this question, and it's going to sound, well, maybe not. 
But I think for many people, it'll sound knee-jerk reaction to be hyperbolic and a little crazy and a little insane. But is Kyle McCord the best quarterback in the Big Ten? I, I think he is. And that's coming from somebody who has been very open about the fact that I think that he has shortcomings. But when you look at the numbers, they are, I, I don't have updated stats from today's game for everybody in the Big Ten, but let's just look at the two top quarterbacks. You've got, well, even top three for that matter. <laughs> Kyle McCord threw for 335 yards today. In a game between Michigan and Penn State, Drew Aller and J.J. McCarthy combined for 130 yards. J.J. McCarthy was 7 for 8 for 60 yards, and Drew Aller was, I don't know what his numbers were, but he finished with 70 yards passing. And you can say that was a much different game. Obviously, the defense of those teams is much better than, than Michigan State's. But if J.J. McCarthy is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate, as everybody from Ann Arbor is trying to tell us that he is, and even Vegas had him as the, the betting favorite at one point not too long ago, you don't take the ball out of his hands completely in the second half. And I know Michigan fans were in our mentions earlier today saying that that's actually a good thing when you don't have to throw the ball in, in, in the second half of a game. And while... Sure, if you need to adjust because of the offensive line, especially the the right guard is a turnstile and they, the opposition is getting a ton of pressure on your quarterback, yes, makes total sense to run the ball more than you throw it. But you cannot tell me with a straight face in any objectivity whatsoever that if you legitimately think that you have the best quarterback in the country, which is what you're saying, if you think that he's a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate, and Jim Harbaugh has said that he thinks that J.J. McCarthy is, or at least could potentially be, at the same level of Andrew Luck or Tom Brady, you don't say you're not throwing the ball in the second half. That's not how this works. You Even if you do go 75-25, you let him throw the ball at least once, so I think it is very clear that the Michigan staff does not trust J.J. McCarthy to win games for them. And maybe in a different defensive situation, that'll be the case. But if they don't think that they could throw against Penn State to win the game, I, I got I got to tell you something. Like Ohio State's defense is better than Penn State's and their secondary is better than Penn State's. Um, we will see how the running game does against Ohio State's defensive line and and linebackers, especially if Tommy Eichenberg is not back 100%, although I have a sneaking suspicion that he will be. We'll talk about that here in a second. But I think Kyle McCord is the best quarterback in the Big Ten, and he is not obviously anywhere near what Justin Fields or C.J. Stroud or Dwayne Haskins or even J.T. Barrett was um, quite yet. But this was his best game. And I, I think it is safe to assume that a lot of that had to do with the competition. But I also think that as guys are getting healthy, as his weapons are getting back to full strength and in the rotation, that you are starting to see progress. That has been the issue for me with Kyle McCord all season is that we aren't seeing progression from game to game. We have seen it from the, from the first half to the second half. This was the first time really that I felt like he came out and was was firing on all cylinders throughout an entire first half. Obviously, we we know that he hit 11 straight to start the game against Rutgers last week, but they were very, very short passes and wasn't anything interesting, and it kind of went downhill from there. But he looked great, and I think this was the progress we wanted to see. He looks healthy. He looks confident. He looks calm in the pocket. And will that continue against Minnesota? Probably. I mean, I think last I saw, Minnesota was kind of getting boat raced by Purdue, so take that for what it's worth. Will that continue to happen 
in the regular season finale on the 25th of November? Probably not just because the defense is going to be much better. So he's going to have to uh, do more uh, against quality defenses. So I, I, I can't imagine that he's going to be 24 for 31 for 335 yards and three touchdowns. But if he can have that same level of decision-making, that same level of, of calmness in the pocket, and he's able to set his feet. And I think, you know, for everything we talk about Todd Blackledge and that entire announcing crew being pretty awful on NBC, I think he did a good job of highlighting the fact that the issues with Kyle McCord have been because he has not uh, been strong in his mechanics. When he is strong in his mechanics, he is able to make the throws that you need for an Ohio State quarterback to make. We saw early in the season where balls were floating a lot, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was throwing off of his back foot. He was anticipating pressure, even though sometimes it was not there. He was, was falling backwards. Balls were floating. And, you know, that wasn't the case uh, against Michigan State. He was stepping up in the pocket. He was staying, um, you know, inside himself and with his mechanics. So I think that has to be a very positive thing for the Buckeyes moving forward. If he can continue that up, if he can play anything similar to this against better competition against Michigan, and then in the college football playoff, I think that Ohio State is a legitimate national championship contender. And had Georgia not absolutely bludgeoned Ole Miss, I probably would be saying Ohio State's the the, the national championship favorite. I still might, um, but Georgia looked really good. I had that on the second screen. Georgia looked really good against Lane Kiffin's uh, Rebels on Saturday night. So uh, I, I I might not jump to that conclusion just yet, but this was encouraging. The other thing that's encouraging is the fact that Marvin Harrison Jr. is on the Ohio State team. He is still wearing scarlet and gray. Um, what about those uniforms? What do you think about the uniforms? I am not a uniform guy. I generally don't care, but I thought they looked pretty good. Um, but I said it on a podcast earlier this week, and I think every I, I, not that what I was saying was uh, a super unique thought, but it was pretty clear early on that Ryan Day wanted to make sure that I wanted to make sure that Marvin Harrison Jr. was intimately involved in the offense early on. He finished with 149 yards receiving and two touchdowns through the air. He also got his first career rushing touchdown, which was a very fun um, misdirection counter end around. That was his first rushing touchdown. So he ended up with uh, 168 total yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, that is on nine targets and one carry. Um, it is clear that he is they are They are really going to make a push for him to be a Heisman Trophy finalist. I don't know that he can win this without going absolutely ballistic against Michigan. I think as far as I'm seeing it, he's going to be up against three really quality quarterbacks. Um, Michael Penix Jr. from Washington, Bo Nix from Oregon, and I'm recording obviously either right before or right during uh, the beginning of the USC Oregon game. And then also to me, I've been saying it over on the fans for sports network, college football feeds, fame and fortune and everything that goes with the podcast that Jaden Daniels is the Heisman trophy finalist. Like he even depending on how things break in the last few weeks of the season, despite the fact that LSU has uh, three losses, uh, th they have three losses already. Um, he might be the winner. I mean, if you look at his numbers, he is, Number one in a lot of the, the big metrics, he is also in the top two or three 
in in pretty much everything else. And even the other great quarterbacks, including Michael Penix Jr., are not that high in everything. So I think the wins and the losses for LSU are going to keep Jaden Daniels from winning. But as far as I'm concerned, there's no way, especially in this game that is still going on as I'm talking, I've got it, I'm watching it over here. If you're on the live stream, you can uh, see I, I keep looking over here to the side a little bit. Um, he's a finalist. So I think right now I would, I would guess that uh, unless something crazy happens with any of these guys, we're going to see Penix, Knicks, Daniels, and Harrison in New York um, in that what second weekend of December. I think I'm actually going to be there. I might try to get some, some sort of press credentials to go cover that in some way. But Marv is in, in, insane. He passed Chris Carter for career receiving touchdowns. He tied David Boston with 14 100-yard games. Um, and he still has three – or. Uh, yeah, at least three games left, maybe five games left uh, to kind of continue to set records as an Ohio State receiver. It, it's going to suck when he's gone because he is so good. Um, but we've been through this with Ohio State wide receivers kind of coming coming in, breaking records and heading to the NFL and being offensive uh, offensive rookies of the year. And I think he is certainly going to be a top five pick at the worst, um, easily than the number one right wide receiver. So Marv is insane. Marv is incredible. Uh, and I think the fact that he is continuing to find ways or, or the offense is continuing to find ways to get him the ball um, and not just relying on, hey, go deep and we're going to chuck it up to you. Not only was did we do did we see that creative end around, but there was one and I don't remember if it was a third down or I think it was a third down, like a third and five. And it was just a slant to him he's unstoppable on those plays because they have to give him enough cushion because if not, he's going to run by the defender. And unless there is just a linebacker kind of bracketing him to the inside, he's going to catch it every time. So I, I love the fact that Marvin Harrison jr. Is not only just a focal point as he has been all season, but they are continually working out new ways to get him the ball. And I hope, and I've said this for decades that they're like saving stuff for Michigan. I don't know if that's true, but I hope that they've got some creative plays up their sleeves to get him the ball uh, in the biggest game of the year. Uh, on offense, we're going to continue with Travion Henderson. He did not do the numbers that I thought he would uh, on Saturday. He did rush the ball 13 times for 63 yards and a touchdown. He also caught two passes for 14 yards, but they spelled him. He only had, like I said, 13 carries and two receptions. They got him out pretty early, and I am totally fine with that. What we don't want to see is Ohio State letting guys play longer than is necessary in these two final two games before the Michigan game, and then someone getting hurt. We saw Mike Hall Jr. from the defensive line get hurt. Um, no real word on what that was all about. I saw reports that he was getting taken back, but nothing I didn't see what happened. I didn't hear what happened. And, and I didn't really hear any follow-up from any of the beat writers on the game. So hopefully we will hear a little bit more from that, either from Ryan Day's press conference or on Tuesday uh, when him and Jim Knowles meet the media. But Travion Henderson still looked great. Only a 4.8 yards per carry average. But the thing with Travion Henderson is, is boom and boomer bust isn't necessarily the right way to say it because I think he does do a pretty good job of picking up yardage if there is anything there to pick up, but he is going to be a guy who might get stopped at the line of scrimmage. If there's not a, a, a hole for him to run through, or he could run for 65. So I, I was very happy to see what he was able to do today. 
And overall, getting Cade Stover back, seven receptions for 79 yards and a touchdown, that was nice to see. He's going to be a very big part of whatever Ohio State does against Michigan and in the postseason. So offense, great. Run blocking could still use a little bit of work, uh, especially because uh, Michigan State, even though their defensive line isn't terrible, um, is is not nearly going to be what Ohio State sees against Michigan and in the college football playoff. But we'll we'll see if they're able to work on that. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, Michigan State uh, only had 182 yards of total offense. They had 88 passing yards and 94 total uh, rushing yards. And when you think about it, I think especially early in the game, the first few drives, Ohio State was giving up yardage. And when you have Lathan Ransom, who's been out for a few weeks, Josh Proctor out, Tommy Eichenberg out, I think it takes a little bit of time for those guys, even though they've been practicing together, presumably, to get on the same page and kind of figure out what they are doing from a defensive standpoint. And even though they continue to kind of give up a few plays here or there, I was really pleased and impressed by the fact that they stood up and shut things down in the most key important situations of the game. I think they did a little bit more bending and not breaking than we've seen in recent weeks. That has kind of been the mantra or, or the way that people have described this defense, at least early in the season. And I don't think that's actually the case. Um, you know, today they were uh, two for two, two for 14 on third down. Michigan state was, they were two for two on fourth down. One of those was on the punt. We'll talk about that, but um, they did give a little bit more than they have in, in recent weeks, but to only give up 182 yards against any power five opponent, any big 10 opponent, especially when you had backups in for a majority of at least the fourth quarter and into the third, third quarter. That's pretty great. Um, would still like to see a little bit more on the sacks, but in this game, you saw that Jim Knowles was not bringing much of anything. Um, we saw a couple of blitzes here or there, but he was primarily allowing his front four to generate as much uh, as much pressure as they could, and then just having everybody else stay back. And that's probably has to do with the fact that you know two of the three ish starting quarterbacks cornerbacks were or, um, sorry safeties were out, and um, wanted to just make sure they did everything they could on the back end to not have anything get behind them. But overall. I thought that was pretty uh, pretty impressive. When we're talking about Proctor and Tommy being out, you could see how it impacted the defense. And as I said earlier, I imagine if this was a game against anybody of of substance, if this was against a a Penn State or maybe not Rutgers or, or Wisconsin, especially because Wisconsin we know lost to Northwestern uh, on Saturday. But if this was against a really good team, I think they would have been out there. But there's no reason to play them in this game when your defense can do what it did um, without them there. Let's get those guys healthy. Let's get them ready to play in the regular season finale because that's all that matters. I, you can't win this th that game, I don't think, without Josh Proctor and Tommy Eichenberg. And, and I really would prefer not to find out if they could win without Lathan Ransom. So I don't need to see any of those guys next week unless they feel like they need to kick the rust off. Um, if it, if it is better for their recovery to not play against the Gophers next Saturday at 4 PM, so be it totally fine with that. Get them ready 
for the game that matters the most, uh, or really the only game that matters, because everything else has been uh, kind of a prelude to that. And while the the Notre Dame and the Penn State games have been close, and and they have been trying and taxing, they are just the appetizer, the the amuse bouche, so to speak, for the regular season finale, assuming both Ohio state and Michigan take care of business next week. Ohio state, as I said, plays Minnesota, Michigan plays Maryland. Um, whoever needs to take time off next week, I'm fine with, um, oops, sorry. Uh, I, I would prefer to get, you know, as much reps with the offense as a whole as you possibly can. But if, if, Mecca who Mecca Abuka was back. He only had one reception on five targets for 12 yards. Um, if he needs to take a little bit more time, so be it. Uh, I would prefer them all in there, but you take, you, you do what you have to do to get everybody ready for that Michigan game. Um, we've talked about offense a little bit, talked about defense a little bit. Let's talk about special teams. They are atrocious. They are terrible. Um, there was at least three plays on special teams that just can't happen. I mean, when the announcers are calling for watch the fake punt here, and then they run the fake punt and your team can't stop it, that is a coaching issue. Now, obviously you want the execution to be better because they were in a punt safe uh, uh, situation there. They, uh, uh, a personnel package, but still like you, that can't happen. And then there was, um, I forget what the second one was, but there was the, uh, uh, oh, the, there was a missed field goal later on. And that was the third one. The one, the second one was they had to actually take a timeout on a punt because they only had 10 guys out there. They had to rush, uh, they had to run on another blocker to make sure that they didn't get it blocked deep in their own territory. Look, I don't like calling for people's jobs. Um, there are other people on the land grant staff who have no problem doing that. Um, but Parker Fleming's just bad. I mean, Gene Ross, who's, my co-managing editor at Lane Grant, he's been writing all season, actually dating back to last season, that Parker Fleming should not have a job at Ohio State. Um, he's just bad. And, and it, you know, it hasn't cost you, and I don't know that it will, but it could. I mean, look at look at Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle. Like, they so prided themselves on their special teams play. And I think Ryan Day would like to, but it just hasn't been there. So... Um, special teams was atrocious. You can't do that um, against Michigan. I mean, we saw that against both Michigan and and Georgia last year. It came back to bite them. You know, in Georgia, you could actually say that you know one field goal could have spelled the difference between Ohio State ending the game or ending their season on a loss or ending the season picking up a trophy. Um, Michigan, I think there's a lot more going on in that game beyond like the fake punt of it all. But that has to get better. I don't know how it can, though. I, I just don't. I, I I don't know. If you're watching on there, I'm just giving the shrug emoji. Um, but it's uh, uh, it, it's not ideal. There needs to be something figured out there. Um, I did I did like the fact that I mentioned that Lincoln Keenholz got in, but not only did he get in, we saw Evan Pryor in the backfield, Carnell Tate, who has played more than most of the other true freshmen, Jelani Thurman. Dude, he looks like a load. He's a tank. He was running over guys. Still seems to have a little bit of baby fat that guys have coming in. Uh, I'm sure the strength and conditioning 
staff at Ohio State will work on that and turn him even to, into even more of a bigger physical freak. But he looked tough to tackle, and that's really exciting. I'm excited to see what happens with him moving forward. Uh, but it was fun to see those young guys get in. Would still like to would have liked for Ryan Day to at least give them a little bit more opportunity to move the ball rather than just handing it off. But I, like I said, I can't be mad about it because that that is completely designed to move the clock along to make sure people don't get hurt. So I, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. All right, before we go, I have to talk about the Michigan thing. Like, how is this real? Like, this is a legitimate situation that we are talking about in which Michigan, a team competing for a college football playoff berth, is spending so much time whining about getting caught cheating that we have an assistant coach after a game who is the interim head coach crying and swearing on national television because their head coach had to watch the game at the day's end or wherever the hell they were they were they were staying it was absolutely one of the dumbest things i've ever seen in my life now don't get me wrong like i am all for teams and coaching staffs having emotion and loving their fellow whatever Wolverines, Buckeyes, whatever. But they are acting as if something is being done to them. They did this. Whether Jim Harbaugh actively was involved in this sign stealing scheme and all, all whatever quality reporters that I trust have said that, that they feel like he didn't know. Okay, I'll take you at your word. But it's not like this was being made up. This is all real. They know it's real. They, they you know, all of the, you know, the, the, the defensive and offensive coordinators, uh, uh, Mentor and, and Sharon, uh, um, they were involved. They had Con Connor Stallions next to them telling them what to do. This is not a surprise. So to act as if they are being persecuted is just the most Michigan thing in the world. They have always felt that they're entitled. They've always felt that they are better than everybody else, both uh, academically, both on the field, both morally and ethically. And it's always been a crock of shit, to borrow a, a, uh, a word that I heard on NBC's broadcast after the game. Um, or Fox's, I'm sorry. It's just not true. And, and the the responses that we've gotten from it are admitted trolling. Like I have been doing most of the trolling on the Lane Grant Twitter feed. Uh, it's just fun because like it's ridiculous. I, I personally do not think that Michigan sign stealing caused Ohio State to lose two straight games in the rivalry. I just don't. I, I think you can watch those games and obviously tell that there was a physical disparity in how those teams were put together and how those teams were coached and how those teams um, were just built. But it's still funny as hell. Like, it's just funny. Everything about it is humorous. The fact that it was like just a dude buying tickets and recording stuff on his cell phone. Then he had sunglasses that could record video on a, uh, on the Central Michigan sideline. The fact that it's just... I don't, I don't even know what to say because it's the most obvious and painfully obvious thing I've ever seen in my life. And yet their fans and their team 
and all of their in-pocket media members because there's a lot of them that show up. Um, they're all making it sound like this is like some travesty of justice. It's just not true. Just stop. Just stop. Take it. Accept it. You were cheating and you got caught. There's a saying in my family, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So there's no, you know, do what you got to do to win. Um, but you got caught and just own it. Like, move on. It's fine. Jim Harbaugh not being on the sideline for these three games is not going to be the difference between whether you win or lose. It was the absolute minimum punishment that the Big Ten could have handed out because he still gets to be involved in everything that you do during the week. Uh, it doesn't it it doesn't penalize the kids all that much, the players and the people who are actually probably doing the cheating side, aside from Connor Stallions, who's already resigned slash been fired. They still get to be there. The coordinators, the play callers are still there. So nothing is really going to change other than you won't have that weird dude with the khakis on the sideline. So it's fine. Move on. Take it. The NCAA is going to hammer you next spring anyway. So just accept what you've got. Move on. Don't make this a thing because it just makes you look more ridiculous. All right, that is all that I've got. Thank you for listening to this Land Grant Podcast instant recap show for the Ohio State Buckeyes 38-3 victory over Michigan State. We'll be back Next weekend, I will not be here, uh, but somebody else, Justin Golba, my normal co-host, and somebody else, I believe Jordan Williams, will recap that game for you. If you do not already, please make sure that you subscribe to the Land Grant Podcast Network's feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your daily dose of audio goodness. You can follow us on social media at LandGrant33. You can follow me at Matt. All right, thanks again for watching or listening. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Bucks.